1: Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Tom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Yes. Well, it wasn't a confident, yes, yes. And the reason is I literally just got in here and I I, I didn't know if the show started eight minutes ago. I have no idea. Are we starting, nurse? Oh, we're on, baby. Nurse? Welcome in to Balloon Party. Driven by Mogadass, St. Louis Acura. Walton Toyota. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. That is Action Jackson. He's going to preview the Heat and Knicks' is New York fights for their life tonight. And that is coming your way. What are you going to do that at ten seventeen? Is that when you want to do it?
0: I'm ready whenever. Oh, you you're, just, you just give me the signal, and I'm ready to give Julius Randle takes up and down this airwaves.
2: I want to play the Derek Gould-Jack Flaherty exchange like 10 times. That's what I want to do. Yeah.
0: Uh, it might be the most interesting piece of audio I've ever heard.
2: Wow. Very Mike Greenberg of you. Happy hyperbole Wednesday here on Balloon Party. I mean, I've heard more interesting pieces of audio. All due respect to your your comment. Speaking of which, Matt, Matt, Matt Barnes is in front of me right now, which will probably immediately trigger Jackson into excitement. Uh, and I was watching on TikTok last night him detailing showing up to a party to uh, jump Derek Fisher for sleeping with his wife. <laughs> that audio was more interesting than Jack Flaherty and Derek Gould. However, this is up there as far as St. Louis sports media encounters with with athletes following a win no less right <laughs> It's the strangest damn thing ever. All right so the Cardinals win last night over the Cubs. Um, they're plus seven fifty to win the division, and I feel a fiduciary responsibility. I feel like we're all I feel like Balloon Party is essentially a venture capital operation. I think some people are starting to compare it to that, especially after your recommendation on the Celtics minus seven and a half last night.
0: Right, right. So yeah, I've 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 cleared you out. Right. Um and now you can start fresh. Yeah,
2: start fresh. So uh the Cardinals beat the uh the cubs they're plus 750 to win the national league central which strikes me as very strange because a week ago they were plus 350 and now they they're only 8 games back and it's plus 750 and as you heard may have heard yesterday when Buster only was our guest uh he said he thinks still thinks the cardinals are the team to beat and if i had to bet even money i don't know if i would do that but getting plus 750, I will take that all day long. I really am going to put probably a borderline irresponsible amount of money on the Cardinals to win the Central because of the plus 750. That's my reasoning. Now, they win last night. They beat the Cubs. They beat the Cubs. They beat the, they beat the Tigers. They're trying to right the ship here. It wasn't because of Jack Flaherty. Brief baseball strategy moment aside here, and then we'll get to the audio that that I want to play over and over again. Um I was really surprised that Ollie Marmol left Jack Flaherty in with the bases loaded in the bottom of the fifth. Jackson, you acknowledged you were watching the game last night. I correct. Almost, I almost always watch it. Yeah, well, yeah, high
0: pitched. I, I often don't watch with the sound now on. Now lower pitch. But I was watching with the sound on. And, uh, and what does it
2: deal with not watching with the
0: sound on? Usually the sound is on whatever basketball game I'm watching. Got it.
2: Okay. That was probably honest. It's yeah, the truth. Well, it's honesty of media. So the bases are loaded. Uh, Dusty Blake comes out and talks with Flaherty, and in my mind, usually, if this were any year between 2005 and 2022, and assuming there wasn't a minor league basketball game in the Caribbean going on, Yadier Molina would walk out, and and he would buy some time. And then, at that point, a manager would come out and then remove the pitcher for the second visit. That's what I thought we were going to see. Instead, they leave Jack Flaherty in. Now, what are the tenets of this award-winning, it's the best one-hour midday radio show in St. Louis?
0: I uh, totally agree. And uh, I think the one you're alluding to is that we are not results-oriented. That's
2: correct. Now, I always say the number one tenet is we don't kink shame. Right. But secondarily, we are not results-oriented also. We're pro-liberty, although Chairman Steve Wild Wildwood is starting to insinuate your editing is mic drops, and that's that's between you two and, and legal counsel. I'm not going to get involved. If I'm no. deposed, I will, but I'm not interested right now. I couldn't believe they left him in. Uh, Suzuki hits a ball that, in many ballparks, would have been out. I realize Wrigley isn't necessarily large, but it enjoys wind-aided or wind-stifled balls, and this was wind-stifled. And so help me, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened had that ball left the yard, considering it would have been from the arm of Jack Flaherty. With the green light from Ali Marmol Mall to mm. leave him in there. The only way I could have gotten worse if John Mazelak was out there and caught it and, like, you know, <laughs> and, took off his bow tie and waved it. <laughs> and then you just would have like, Dante's Inferno for St. <laughs> Louis baseball.
0: Mazelak catching it. It's yeah. Such a funny visual. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, and maybe Randy Rosarena, you know, like watching on the scoreboard.
0: Right. IGYF.
2: Yeah, so it would have, been, yeah, streaming live. <laughs> so. That, that, is, that was a move that they got away with. I mean, for real. I was watching them going, oh, my God, they're going to leave him in. Yeah. And then I saw the ball off the bat, and I go, boy, I hope the wind's kicked up and blowing in right now because otherwise all hell is about to break loose. So they get the win. So you would think the people would be happy. A uh, morning tradition for me going back to 2004 when TMA started is I get up early and I enjoy my coffee, and I usually read. But now a tradition is I go on the – the Bally Sports app, um, which uh, I believe was designed by a fourth grader at St. Gabriel's, and I, I figure out my way through it because you still go to it. Mike Schilt is still up there, and I, you know, I go on the dark web for assistance, and then I find my way to the updated sound. And I see uh, the post game, and I click on Jack Flaherty, and I had no idea what had happened because I was already so hopped up on sleeping pills. I think I was watching Ted Lasso last night when the post game was going on, and I'm just like, ah, looks like Flaherty's not in a good mood. And then, but it was over nothing. There was there wasn't really a a harsh question. You could just tell he's like, God, I got to talk to these nerds. I don't want (laughs) to deal with this stuff. You know, I thought I was going to make 150 million dollars in 2023, and now. I'm damaged goods and people are on to it and I'm walking everybody and I'm throwing 88 miles an hour. So I got to deal with this. That's what he's thinking, I believe. Right. Here is the exchange, though, that is what Jackson called the greatest piece of audio in American history. Is that what you said? Is that what it It's
0: one of the most interesting, and I'll amend it real quickly. It's one of the most interesting st louis sports pieces of audio i've heard in my lifetime
2: wow all right here you go the, velocity on your fastball is down a little
0: the
3: next time somebody wants to mention the velocity of my fastball just i'm not going to answer another question about like i'm going to play with the velocity of my fastball based on what the game calls for so i i can get out at 90 i can get out at 95 like it's like i'm gonna play with it i've always played with it i've, I've thrown freaking fastballs at 87 before in games when i've been at my best like i'm not answering questions on
1: oh,
3: oh no 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 I'm, I'm just i'm just saying because y'all want to make a big deal out of it and i'm tired of it like i'm not like, it's so ridiculous like I'm, i've thrown i've i'm gonna go for what the game calls for and that's that's part of pitching so if you want to ask about it you don't understand the art of pitching like i'm gonna go with what it, the situation calls for what the game calls for, but like you have to manage pitch counts. You have to manage the way that the game goes. Like there's certain times where you up it, and you're gonna now you're gonna start seeing four, five, six. And there's certain times you might be able to be like, okay, here, you know, okay, we, you know, situation calls for you bump it back up. Like it's just that's the way the game goes. So you, so you, that's that's the way that you go about the game.
1: And we don't know that unless we this, Jack. We don't know. Well, why. then you don't understand pitching, and that's okay. Say that again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you, you said I don't understand. The that's
3: the, that's the way that
1: no, it's, we, we just don't feel like we should guess. We want your answer so we can quote you and give it to the fan Okay, Derek. <laughs> All right. So, so, the...
2: so I would like to, if we can, I don't know if you could edit it on the fly to the the exchange there. So the way it started off was the cat, Jimmy the Cat Hayes, asks Jack about his velocity. Now. I need to provide some context. We have the Marmol sound. Okay. So, the way that it works, at least it used to, maybe it changes where in that for real, the Wrigley Clubhouse, <laughs> the Visitors Clubhouse is about the size of the studio. It's right. it's mind-blowing. I've been in Fenways, I've been in Wrigley Fields. They joke about Fenways, Wrigley's is half the size. It's it's unreal. So maybe the protocol is different there. But the way it usually works is the manager talks and then you go to the players. So Ali Marmol was asked about Flaherty's velocity by the cat, and I believe the follow-up was from Derek Gould. Here is what he had to say.
1: It looked like his velocity was not great. Yeah, there's
2: times
3: where it was 88, 89, and then a couple pitches later he popped a 94, but it was in and out of that. Um, yeah, I agree. So you any explanation?
1: For that um,
3: not at the moment. It was something. Yeah, something. Have a conversation with Jack and see, but no, as, at the moment, not really.
2: So, Ali Marmal, the manager, acknowledges that the velocity was surprising, and it's something that they're going to talk with him about to try to find out what happened. So then the reporters, in this case, Jimmy the Cat Hayes, Bally Sports, and Derek Gould, post-dispatch, understandably do what they should do, which is follow up with the guy who, who threw the ball. And so the cat is in the process of asking Derek Gould, or excuse me, Jack Flaherty, about the velocity. Jack cuts him off because it's a sensitive topic. Right. And you might go, why is it a sensitive topic? Here is my theory. My theory is four years ago, Jack Flaherty, starting in July really, was on top of the world, was one of the best pitchers in the game, if not the most dominating for those three or four months. And it, it carried over at times, but then dealt with and is dealing with a, a shoulder labrum tear in his throwing arm. And that is a problem. It is a problem if you are a layperson such as myself, because I have one, and it is certainly a problem if you're a pitcher. You'll see a lot of pitchers come back from Tommy John. It is oftentimes a career ender, not necessarily a dramatic career ender, but a gradual career ender for any athlete, but especially a pitcher. And so I would imagine, and understandably so, Uh, Jack Flaherty thought he was going to get paid big time when 2023-2024 offseason rolled around, and now he's not the same guy. And so his velocity is down, and therefore he is sensitive about his velocity, and it is probably on his mind. So when it gets brought up, something he doesn't want to talk about, that is why I believe he cut off the cat when the cat asked a very fair question, considering that Ali Marmola just said he wasn't sure what was going on, and he wanted to talk to Jack about it. So then Derek Gould follows up, and that's where it gets—that's where it gets intriguing. Uh, Here, let's take a listen to the uh, edited uh,
3: version. That's the way that you go about the game.
1: We don't know that unless we ask, Jack. We don't know. Well,
3: then you don't understand pitching, and that's okay. Say that again. I'm sorry. I'm
1: sorry. Um, you, you said I don't understand the
3: pitch. That's, that's the way that...
1: No, it's... We, we just don't feel like we should guess. We want your answer so we can...
3: You want to say that again?
2: I'm sorry? <laughs> I mean, right there, it's like, oh, man. They're about to go.
0: It's unbelievable. It's truly unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I, I, I was watching that this morning. Just like, you know, I'm on my first cup of coffee. I'm like, ah, let's see what happened here. <laughs> and I'm going, Whoa! Derek Gould, Jack Flaherty. How about this? That's
0: unbelievable. Yeah, I, I woke, I rolled over this morning, got on my phone, Twitter immediately, and uh, I saw, I watched the whole thing, and my, and then it wasn't until I came in here and pulled the audio that I heard Derek say, uh, "You want to say that again?" Because that is like, almost, "Oh my god!"
2: And then Flaherty's like, "I'm sorry." He's like, "You said what to me?" I know what that meant. And then Derek with the, "I'm sorry." Oh Sh- my goodness. Brutal. That was brutal. Even when they win. Yeah, barbs flying everywhere. I am telling you. It is, it was that was that was something else. But Derek's point is if we're observing this, we have a responsibility to ask yeah. what was going on. Now, again, i just for the sake of putting myself in Jack Flaherty's position. You're a free agent coming up. The last thing you want to be considered is on the back end of your career at a young age and injured. And so it's not something he wants to talk about. I'm sure it's something he's concerned about. Further, because of his mechanics, which I believe is a byproduct of the injury, his control is now off. He's not getting swings and misses like he was in 2019. And so he's just a different guy. And I truly feel terribly for him. It's a—it's not like he did anything wrong. It sucks. He was one of, if not, the best pitchers in the game of baseball in July, August, September of 2019. But unfortunately, he's got an injury that is just, you, you know, you can ask Alan Bennis about it. Ask Mark Mulder about it. And that's just going to the Cardinal organization about the shoulder. So... It's a problem. He is battling through it, but that is why when people were saying at the beginning of the season, the guy to keep an eye on for the Cardinals is Jack Flair, and I'm going, why? He's at this point at best like a, a two or three and a two or three on the Cardinals too, which is like a four or five on the team that really is trying to win the World Series. So that's what I believe caused that. But I'm telling you, I haven't had to do that stuff in a long time. It's a brutal spot if you're Derek Gould, Jim Hayes, whoever else is down there getting your ass ripped after a loss. Because there's no question that you can ask, if you're really going to ask a question that is truly probing, for lack of a better term, where it's going to be welcomed. I've had Tony La Russa rip my ass plenty of times. Matt Morris one time, who's a great guy, by the way, um, now plays a lot of uh, FIFA online in Montana. Uh, my kind of guy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was a hell of a pitcher and had some great duels with Kurt Schilling in that 2001 NLDS uh, long longtime cardinal dealt with injuries himself and I remember I asked him a question I can't remember what it was about but I had the numbers on my notebook too and it was something about I don't know after like the fourth inning I don't know it was some was some there was absolute numbers behind it and he comes after me and it's like man we're kind of like you know we have a good relationship right and I'm like, okay, I've done this, even though at the time I'm like 25, but I've been getting my ass ripped long enough to just go, okay, fine, whatever. And then I stuck around so we could have an off-camera conversation. And I said, hey, you know, this this is the reason. And I pulled out the notebook, and the last <laughs> thing he wanted to see from Nerd Boy yeah. was his notebook and his notes. Yeah, show your work. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm just like, hey, it's, you're just in a spot. If you have an athlete super frustrated, and yes, his team won, but super frustrated, and you then pull out the exact topic that he's super frustrated about, in this case, Jack Flaherty's velocity, you're just not, he's not going to be calm and introspective. Now, Many of you listening goes, well, he should be. And the only thing I can try to draw a parallel to is whatever your career is. And if you had a day where it was rough and it went on in front of a number of people, and obviously it's not going to happen in front of a Major League Pitchers size audience, but nonetheless, and you know it might damage your future earnings, that's the only way. And then how calm would you be if someone who you know knows nothing about, relatively speaking, Derek Gould certainly knows baseball perhaps better than any writer that we have in St. Louis at the moment. I'm not trying to do a comparison. I have no idea. Maybe there's 10. I don't know. My point is, I'm being complimentary toward Derek. He's been covering the team for a couple of decades. But he's never thrown, just like I've never thrown in the major leagues. And that's the way that certainly Jack Flaherty looks at it. And almost any major leaguer does. They just have to be polite and deal with it. And then you get asked about it. And you're going, oh, God. Then you don't understand it. And the thing is, Jack's actually right. Right. The thing is, you can't say it. (laughs) And it's a tough thing. You know, uh, but f- 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 by God, I've, I've truly never, I guess Will Clark and Dan Issa got to a point where I thought they were going to fight <laughs> what and I was standing right next to him. Will Clark really didn't like Dan Issa. I don't know why. I just know he didn't. And it was a benign thing. It's like, ah, I noticed you're in a bit of a lather. And he goes, oh, you think I'm a lather, huh? What do you mean by that? And, Dan, you know, Will, you know. Ready to go no, with anybody, are, as Ozzie Smith can attest to, and Jose Okendo for that matter. And I'm like, "Oh, well, this is going to be awkward." Danny and Will, Will Clark are going to get a fight in the car in the locker room. And what am I going to do about it? <laughs> and I listen to that and I go, "Oh my god!" Like as I'm watching it this morning, I perk up. I go, "Are they going to go? <laughs> is Derek Gould going to fight with a guy who's 20 years younger than him in the in the in the tiny little Wrigley Field clubhouse?" But Derek's like, hey, if you want us to cover the team accurately, we have to ask yeah, you about it. Your guess. velocity is off. Yeah, Why is that? And you're telling us it's a strategy. That's what the answer essentially was. Right, that it's a strategy. But the manager of the team just moments earlier said, yeah, I noticed it. I don't know what that was about. I'm going to have to talk to Jack about it. So if it was a strategy, it was a strategy the manager was not aware of. Your thoughts, 314 399 9646 air Comfort Service, text line. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan S. St. Louis, Acura, and Alton Toyota, 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: a brief aside do i have time for a brief aside or are you going to do this heat next thing now
0: no i'll, I'll waive that for the brief aside
2: so i used the uh, little wizard's room in the commercial break barely got back in time so you in the audience almost got the nicks heat thing even if you didn't want it
0: i was really kind of hoping i was gonna like throw a
2: banana peel out in the hallway <laughs> And uh, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes while I'm using the little wizard's room, I'll take a I'll take a look at my phone and just see what's doing. Yeah. And I was scrolling through Instagram. Nothing new from Ella Reese, yeah, Usually very active. Yeah,
0: it's surprising.
2: Uh, big fan though. And uh, and something popped up in my feed, and we talked about Succession for about ten seconds yesterday. Uh huh. And it's the cast of Succession dancing. I guess it's the rap party for the show. Uh-huh. With Brian Cox to Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe. Oh, nice. And I felt like I dropped acid. Yeah,
0: that is kind of wild. I, I would love to be at that party, though. I, I assume that Brian
2: there. Cox is around 80. 80. Maybe even older, like 83, I bet. And I'm like, did I just like eat mushrooms <laughs> before I went into the restroom? Is like Gary Coleman going to ride by on a tricycle? What is going on here? And, oh, and I looked at it, and then he starts dancing with, you may know him from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, as Cameron. Alan Ruck. That's correct. Yeah. To yeah. Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe. That's wild. What in the hell's going on on my phone? Was I looked Jeremy, at it again. was Jeremy And I know Strong. other people in the restroom, and they hear Call Me Maybe playing as I'm looking at it, and they had to be like, what's going on with this guy? And then I came back in here, and I'm ready to give Cardinal takes. That's great. Was Jeremy Strong still in character? He was not. They were very happy bunch of people, a lot of hangers on, probably Instagram models.
0: Yeah, so... Uh... Oh, wow. Look at you. I was going to do my Kendall Roy impression, but I can't do it because I can't no, swear. I, was, I
2: mean, I'll clear the way. I didn't I know can't, we had Rich you, Little here today. If
0: you can't swear,
2: it's literally impossible to do a Kendall Roy impression. <laughs> I just do a bunch of junk. <laughs> it's, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Lil Piddles Half and Half. Oh, Ooh. what a treat on Wednesdays. Half and Half. Hello, friends.
0: Yeah, the Half and Half. You know, it's half poignant, uh, relevant, Cardinal questions or, you know, any sports that are going on right now, and half some sports business talk, mm, which mm. there is plenty of recently. Mm. After talking with Buster Olney yesterday, it seemed that he believes, based on what he's heard around the league, that Wilson Contreras is most likely not an everyday catcher. My first question to you is, do you fully believe that that will be the case for the, t- the rest of the contract, the five-year deal with Wilson Contreras? My second question, if that is the case, are the Cardinals looking down the barrel of a brutal reality where they paid 87 and a half million dollars for a dh what could be the long term effects of this
2: wow there's a lot of meat on that bone for the half and half yeah i yeah, should have been show around. prepping and not looking at my instagram feed in that little wizard's room <laughs> all right so let's, let's 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 itemize the questions here start with question one again i want to question answer him. i want to answer him. i do want, you want to fully treat the
0: half and half with the respect it deserves no doubt do you fully believe that wilson Contreras will not be an everyday catcher for the cardinals going forward
2: well, I mean, so I when you ask the question, you're saying like percentage of games. So they have what left? 125 ish games. I believe. Yeah. I guess it'd be a, the approximate math on this thing. Yeah. So then, as your question, will he catch less than 62 of the games? Right. Yeah. Now, that's, if that's, that's what you're that's asking fair. me, yeah. then I would say that is the case.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah. That that's, is the case. If that's if that's your question, I mean, he already wasn't going to catch every single day anyway. I, I, yeah. So now you reduce it even more. Right. Yes, I would say that's the case for the short term. Right. Then the next question was about how many games he catches over the term of the contract.
0: Uh, my second question really is if that is if it is the case where he's not an everyday catcher and they essentially are paying $87.5 million to a DH, what are the long-term effects of that across the organization? I think
2: I think he'll, if you set an over-under for how many games I think he will catch between now and the end of the year and we're operating on the premise, if my math is correct, I did this off the cuff but then again I'm brilliant yeah that's uh, true. Th- that I would say it'd be 49 and a half so I mean that's that's so it's not like he's not a catcher no I think they will force it to happen mm-hmm. but as far as the duration of the contract and you're talking about about 800 games is what the duration of the contract would be I think if my math is correct sounds about right um uh, then I, I mean, I, I never thought though that was my issue with the contract, right. and that's that's not even knowing what apparently a lot of baseball people knew, which was his preparation for the position of catcher was lackluster. Um, I didn't know that, I just didn't like them giving him that long of a deal for somebody who I didn't think there was any chance in the world he would be catching at the tail end of the contract. I thought, but I thought the deal would be good and people would like the deal for the first year or two. That's what I thought. Because you had a quote-unquote obvious three, four, and five, and you had taken what had been an offensive liability—all due respect to Yadier Molina—and turned it into a positive with getting offense out of the catcher's position, I thought. And then I also thought there was going to be this potential, you know, Hall of Fame twenty-year-old in in the outfield. And so, alas, thirty games in, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Uh, Anything else that I didn't tend to in what was a very verbose question one of this half and half? If
0: you thought that was verbose, oh wow, settle in. Uh Uh, Like so, obviously Contreras not being an everyday catcher has its effects. That no longer will he be behind the plate, which means someone else is behind the plate, Andrew Kisner most likely. What are some other long term? Like we've to Buster only talked about prospects being blocked and money being tied up. Like does this? Affect possibly Mason Wynn somehow, you know. Like, I think that there could be such big trickle down effects from this.
2: I couldn't agree with you more on that, right. and that's why I think, like, I understand how it works. I said this yesterday when they had won two in a row, now they've won three in a row, and especially it's over the Cubs, and it was dramatic. Uh, I think probably more people, if you were watching everything and watch the post game, are probably more fascinated by the Jack Flaherty, Derrick Gould thing 100%. But a three game winning streak, and then you know, if they had lost, for example, last night, and lost, you know, if they were still on a losing streak and hadn't beaten the Tigers and hadn't beat the Cubs, then there's more attention probably on the Contreras thing. But my point on it is this. The Cardinals, and I still, I said it, I think, at the beginning of this show. I know I said it on TMA. I would bet the Cardinals, not necessarily even money, but getting seven and a half to one on my money to win the Central all day long, Buster only. and I shared that opinion yesterday on the show. So from a short-term perspective... It might be "quote unquote" okay. It might be okay from a long-term perspective. Wilson Contreras, not at catcher, is a problem for the organization. Yeah. Because, as only as John Denton has said, yeah, he's a he's a he's a very good offensive catcher, but he's a middle of the road designated hitter. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And he's not an outfielder especially if you're going to continue to let Burleson play. I mean, you just can't have both those guys in the outfield. I mean, my God, I guess they're done with Coors Field for the year. But can you imagine Wilson Contreras and Alec Burleson in the corner outfield spots in Coors Field? They'd be inside the park home runs like you're playing at Afton Athletic Association. Yeah. So he's a DH. Well, then that's fine. It blocks a spot. And then it also adds a non-offensive producing spot to the lineup with Kisner or whoever else they go with. And, yes, I know he got a hit last night. That's how I used to get hits. (laughs) It's me, too. (laughs) You know, it's like, God, is that going to just get over the second baseman's head, please? And then you see the resignation, like... Son of a bitch, me. this guy got a hit. We were, we, were playing, we were playing on the grass, and not the outfield grass, the infield grass, and he looped it over our head <laughs> to right field. Yeah, That's just the way they got. You got a spot, man. and it's So it's, it's a problem unless the catching thing gets tended to, and then it'd be wonderful if it just goes away. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Oh, because otherwise, you couldn't afford him to be uh, an albatross, as an offensive player. didn't mm-hmm. even cross my mind that he wouldn't be catching for you most of the games in the first couple of years. It did for the back end of the deal, but not the first couple of years. Uh, all right, th- we've just gotten through one question of the half-and-half, and, half and it's 10-34. That's just
0: goes to show you this half-and-half half is
2: dense. That's the thing about the half-and-half. Half. I'm so bullish on the half-and-half. Half. I think the, the little Piddle 6 shooter that's, gets all the headlines, and yeah. that's what people tweet about mm-hmm. and post on their TikToks. Mm-hmm. But I think that half-and-half is underrated. Uh, we'll take a break and come back with questions 5 through 6 of the half-and-half.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Welcome back. This is Balloon Party, driven by Manganes, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. Tim McCartney Action Jackson, with you on the program. Uh, a lot of Jack Flaherty, Derek Gould conversation at the outset of the program. Then we got into the Lil Piddles, half and half, which is dense. Oh, it's super dense. It is dense. Uh, let's play that sound bite again. I just feel like this is, Jackson's calling it the greatest audio ever recorded in the history of humanity. I uh, I thought it was an overstatement, but, uh, you know, if that's what uh, Jackson thinks, then that's what Jackson thinks. I respect it. That's That's what I do. I'm pro liberty, anti kink shaming, and anti results oriented. And we're gonna come up with a fourth at some point. Here's the audio.
3: So you, so you, that's that's the way that you go about the game.
1: We don't know that unless we like this, Jack. We don't know. Well,
3: then you don't understand pitching, and that's okay. Say
1: that again. I'm Sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. you you said I don't understand
3: that's the the way that
1: we we just don't feel like we should guess we want your answer so we can quote you and give it to the fans okay (laughs) Derek
2: Tim uh, we'll get back to the uh, the half and half momentarily Tim I have a question I am taking questions Uh, I have never done any reporting or interviewing people or players. I was just wondering if there was a point where even if someone is available to interview, but you've had interactions with the player like the one with Jack and Derek Gould, do you just say, screw it, I'm not interviewing them, it's not worth it, that's from the 636. I don't recall that. I kind of enjoyed it. Because it's one thing if you make it you can never make it personal. You can never make it personal. You can't make it personal with what you're saying on the air you can't make it personal with your questions you can't make it personal with your writing i don't think i mean it's not like i'm the you know rule book here or anything but uh you know I, I i being from here and knowing these teams in particular the cardinals certainly better than the blues you know i mean don't not to say that i don't know the blues but i just the cardinals night in night out going back to 1982 would be watching the games and really kind of embarrassingly emo- emotionally leveraged That, you know, I was comfortable with my base of knowledge, historically and also in the present, to ask questions. And in some cases, you would have discussions. LaRusso would really like to have discussions. There was one time. Here's a little anecdote for the people. I like to give the people anecdotes, Jackson. Mm -hmm. 2004. Many will say the greatest Cardinal team they've seen. And I'm down in his office, and it's just me and him. And I'm like, who are you going to start game one? And he goes, I think we're going to go with Marquis. I go, Jason Marquis? And he goes, huh. He goes, I guess you haven't looked up his numbers on three days rest. And I go, I can confirm that. <laughs> he goes, look those up. He goes, that, that sinker is really effective when he doesn't have full rest. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Whatever logic, Looking at him yeah. like, hey, I mean, you, you won World Series, and I'm, you know, trying to fight off male pattern baldness, so we're in different worlds right now. No doubt. Uh, so, uh, all right. And then sure enough, I think he pitched against, it might have been, God, was it Octavio Dotel? Oh wow! He who enjoyed making the rally squirrel sound for he those did. of you who remember the 2011 Cardinals. He loved the rally squirrel because he would go. He had the little. <laughs> I've doll. have never heard a squirrel too. make that sound, but he did that. <laughs> that was his move. I don't know if somebody started for the. If you can look this up, mm-hmm. Game One, 2004 NLDS, Cardinals Dodgers. Who started for the Los Angeles Dodgers? But I know Jason Marquis started. Now with that team and that offense. You know, you could have you could have trotted out whomever and and gotten a win, but his reasoning was: marquee on short rest, the sinker was more effective. And I'm like, this is fascinating as hell, and it's just me and him bsing. We're not recording; it's just me sitting in his office. What, who do we have here?
0: So, game one. This is 2004. That's right. Uh, that would have been of the NLDS. I'm sorry, it was Woody Williams uh, against.
2: Odalis Perez? Odalis Perez, that's it. Then I guess it had to be Marquis game two. I'm all in on it. I'll lose the entire predictionary bankroll here. There's no way.
0: Uh, I'm sorry. It was Dan Heron was the winning pitcher, and Jeff Weaver got the loss.
2: I can't believe that Jason Marquis didn't start. Where did Marquis start?
0: Uh, Okay, I'm sorry. He did start that game, uh, but he was taken out quickly.
2: Oh, so the, the, the sinker ball theory didn't work. <gasps>
0: no, it did not. Uh, Dan. Harris. Yeah, so the, Cardinal did the
2: starters. League. Now, Chris Carpenter was a starter for that team, but he like pulled an oblique or something in September, and so that team that won all those games really didn't have its full assortment of rotation. So in the World Series, like Morris and Williams started in Fenway, and Marquis and Supon started in in St. Louis, and supon famously didn't run home on a ball. you probably before your time. Yeah, it was. And that became a big topic, like what would have happened if Supine would have, like maybe they would have lost in five games instead of four, <laughs> I don't know. But it wouldn't happen in either way. So Marquis, though, if you were ranking the four pitchers was, from my standpoint anyway, clearly number four. And La Russa's reasoning was, no, look at Marquis on short rest, because his arm isn't fully recovered and his sinker's more effective. And I'm going, God, where do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> my point is, La Russa, Would chew my ass out plenty of times, and and funny that one of the most uh, egregious ones was at Wrigley Field, where the Jack Flaherty Derek Gould showdown took place last night. But yeah, I, I understood it. He had just lost. He was in a bad mood. It's just how it was. It's just who he was, and you don't take it personally. Now, if somebody in in calm baseline behavior was acting a certain way, you still have a job to do, though, right? You know, it's business. We're not down there with feelings. These guys make millions of dollars. They're competing. And, you know, the reality is I got cut from the freshman team at St. Louis U High. I don't have a great resume. And plus, I made the decision to get into this business, which also makes them question my decision-making prowess. So I have two strikes against me when I walk in there, the height thing probably being the third, honestly. Might be the first strike. Might just have been a fastball down the middle. At 88, because it was a strategy. (laughs) All right, we'll finish off the half and half on the other side of the break. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan, St. Louis, Accurate, and I'll tell you on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Welcome back. This is Balloon Party. I'm driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Acura, 101 ESPN. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. That's Action Jackson. He's got the half and half. We've gotten through one of the six questions. How many will we get to over and under? Is uh, two and a half.
0: Uh, two and a half more or two and a half
2: total? Total. I'll
0: take the under because okay. I have a feeling this question. I, I don't know. I don't okay. know. Okay. Let's see. Know. Let's see. Let's see what you got. This is a big picture question. Uh oh. And this is a question that I ask in a total honest earnest way like I want to know the I want to know what you think about this I don't want to ask this for any bias or angles I just want to establish a pattern okay. do you think John Mozailla in his 10 years GM or president of baseball operations with the Cardinals has ever constructed slash developed a real high quality pitching staff? The first few years were good but it was anchored by guys who had been there before his time it seems, most, if not all, of the young talent at pitcher has either been shipped out somewhere else or got burnt out too early. What do you think about this? Is it concerning moving forward?
2: All right, Jackson, I'll ask you this. Okay. And in, in part, I'm curious, and then in part, I'm buying time to pull up the team that I'm thinking of. Um, what cardinal rotation is the best that you recall in your? Lifetime as a fan, which I acknowledge starts in 2006.
0: Yep, uh, 2009 would be my answer because you had the healthy Wayne on the healthy Carpenter.
2: Yeah, and they uh, were both uh, in the top three in the Cy Young voting. Now, I don't know if the depth was there because Game 3 of the NLDS was started by Joel Pinheiro. Oh, So there yeah. was a little bit, bit of a drop-off. Yeah. With that said, the rotation that I think the Cardinals would say was their best when the playoffs rolled around in 2015— Uh, In in the Playoffs World Round was 2015. Fair enough. Uh, They had a ridiculously low team ERA. The game one starter was John Lackey. He had a 2.77 ERA. Uh, Michael Waka, 3.38. Carlos Martinez, 3.01. Lance Lynn, 3.03. And Jaime Garcia, 2.43.
0: That's a really good rotation.
2: Yes. Now, I felt like that team was a bit of smoke and mirrors. Uh, because its offense was, was somewhat lackluster, and I thought that rotation, it, I would gather, I, of course, haven't looked it up, but I would gather that that rotation was probably uh, the beneficiary of some good luck, so to speak, the luck statistics. Now, that would be John Mazalak. 2009, you could certainly make a case, that's Walt Jockey, It's Chris Carpenter, that's Adam Wainwright that was really anchoring that rotation. 2015 is John Mazalak. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, 12, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, they're in the NLCS. 2015, they're a 100-win team. So I think you would have to answer yes mm-hmm. to that. And, and keep in mind, that's after the last year Carpenter pitched, so you didn't have Carpenter there. Yeah. I love the John Lackey trade. Love the John Lackey trade. Because just from a straight business standpoint, if you have the opportunity to offload a declining asset, And as great as Alan Craig was at times in 2011, he was damaged goods. And you got rid of that contract. Might be a situation the Cardinals could be in again, unfortunately. Uh, And you can get something for it of value. You take a negative and turn it into a positive, that is the that is the goal, and that's what they did there. The one who wound up being the biggest name in the thing was probably Joe Kelly, actually. Right, yeah. And he kind of flew under the radar at the time in that deal. But uh, I would say that the answer to that question is yes, and I think if somebody is saying no, they're not necessarily observing it through the prism of objectiveness. So that's where I am on it.
0: Yeah, I think if you – my overarching question of has he – constructed or developed a, a good rotation is yes i think there's pieces to it where you've seen some inconsistencies whether that be developing young talent because some of the young talent you named there michael waka carlos martinez off the bat are two that i don't think were mismanaged by any means but didn't pan out to be their full potential and you're kind of yeah, But that. i
2: mean with waka it was a health situation carlos martinez it was an off the field situation Um, Jaime Garcia that was, I think, probably he just didn't have some of the, I mean, the Chris Carpenter mental strength, the Bob Gibson mental strength, whatever the antithesis of that is, then there's a picture of Jaime Garcia, you know? I mean, that's if if something went wrong either before or during the game, uh, you knew. It was like a golfer missing a two-foot putt who's not real strong. You're going, oh, God, the next tee shot's going OB. That was Jaime Garcia on the mound. Next question, please, if you would. I, I don't know if you have the time. Oh,
0: I do. Okay. Sports gambling bill for Missouri hangs in the balance as Friday is basically judgment day for sports gambling in 2023. Bill DeWitt III is said to the Post-Dispatch that if it does not go through, the Cardinals would seriously consider leading an initiative to get it on the ballot in 2024 with the Kansas City Royals also interested in joining them. Do you think the outward support of the state's two baseball teams could be a thing to get this bill over the finish line? If that can't, what will?
2: Uh, My answer to your first question is no. Uh, contrary to what... uh, Who are we talking to? We were talking to Steve Chapman of the Blues last week. He was on the show. I think he was on the opening drive as well. He's on TMA. And, uh, And he said their research indicates that it would have a good chance of passing. There is a St. Louis University poll on how this would do if it were put to the people of the state of Missouri. Not the people of the city and the region of the St. Louis area, but the people of Missouri. And then I would say Missouri.
0: Right. That's key.
2: That... I do not think it would pass personally. And by the way, I would like it to pass, but I do not think it would. Like, if I could bet, I'd go over to Illinois and then bet that it won't pass <laughs> in Missouri. Uh, there is more recent data on this. Uh, let's see. I had this sent to me by a listener. New polling release this weekend uh, from a poll conducted by Missouri Scout. Uh, Two different polling groups and methods of polling, but there's consistency on the subject. In in February, SLU's poll, St. Louis University's, had uh, 35% said that they would vote for it. Uh, In May, the Missouri Scouts polling, 37% said they would vote for it. And this gentleman who is doing this polling data and then emailing me says, further complicating the pathway is if they were to undertake an initiative petition as the Republicans in Jefferson City are currently debating and seemingly likely to pass this week initiative petition reform. Currently an IP needs a simple majority of votes for approval, but the latest bill would require 54% of the vote total for an initiative petition to pass at the ballot box. In other words, 51% or 50.1% ain't going to get a home, 54%. Hence, if the coalition of sports team goes directly to voters and successfully gets this on the ballot, they'd need to sway the entirety of the undecided voter block, according to the May poll, because the May poll says 37% are on board with sports gambling, 18% are not sure. That means you total that 55%. You would have to get all of that in order to get it to pass. I just don't think it'd pass.
0: Yeah. Now, with with those numbers that you just presented, I mean, that's such an uphill climb to get all those undecided voters on your side. And I the Royals card, doesn't matter who. It's just going to be difficult.
2: I would imagine at some point somebody will do a story as to what is the details of what is really, 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 really. I mean, not just what you're reading right now. What is really, 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 really going on with this legislation in Jefferson City. It's it's worthy of a an hour-long news magazine story. It is... It's I, I would say it's comedic, but really it's more tragic yeah uh, awesome. because it's it's not co- it's not being opposed from a moral platitude at all. Uh, the opposition is actually <laughs> is, <laughs> is the people with the uh, the I don't know the, the, the lottery slot machine video yeah. machines and the gas, gas stations that, yeah. that are holding it up and it is something else. it is and then the lobby behind it and who's behind it's something else. I had it explained to me and I'm like, and then the guy goes, I don't want to go on the record because these are powerful people, and I don't know what they would do if I said it, and I'm like, okay, huh, wow, so, yeah, so that's why you don't have sports wagering in, in Missouri, uh, fascinating little time, so we have that for you, Jackson, I guess I did I did cover hey, the covered. over, you're so covered. that makes me feel good, uh, so if you bet that, uh, hopefully you are in the Metro East. Uh, time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrari are up next. For Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Mungan S. St. Louis-Akernel and Toyota on
1: 101. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast, <laughs> presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.